All right, we're going to start the AFC East preview with the Buffalo Bills. Going to go through some of their big changes and things like that. We're going to start with the offensive side of the football, and quarterback is going to start with moving from offensive coordinator Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey. We won't really know how this is going to change or how this is going to affect things for a little bit now because Ken Dorsey was a quarterback's coach for the Buffalo Bills, and so he's kind of just moving up the chain. So yes, they're going to lose Brian Dable, but with Dorsey, they should at least keep a lot of things stable. And, you know, potentially with a guy like Dorsey, you know, one, it's his first time calling plays, so that could be a negative thing. Two, it's his first time calling plays, so it could be something where we see that he was kind of one of the smarter people in the background, and now that he's able to kind of show things, you know, and he was the quarterback from the University of Miami back in 2001, leading, you know, uh, an undefeated season, a Heisman Trophy campaign, things like that, and he obviously didn't have the NFL talent. Perhaps he is, you know, one of these players who really gets it from the X's and O's play-calling standpoint, and perhaps, you know, him being the quarterback's coach was having a really big influence on Josh Allen. So it's hard to say, even though a lot of people see Brian Dable as one of the best play callers in the NFL, still hard to see a really big drop-off, you know, just to, to assume that. And then second off, like I said, perhaps there could be some magic that Dorsey's able to bring, especially when you look at overall with the offense. You know, it's hard to say a lot about Josh Allen other than, you know, what a lot of people see, that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and a lot of it comes down to his physical ability and ability to, to extend the play, but arguably what Dorsey and Dable have done to really help him is get him a lot more um, just confident in the pocket and being able to stand tall and you know stand in one place and not really panic in the pocket and things like that. So we're going to see that. But then the other thing is building the correct pieces around him, and it looks like they've been able to do that. We'll start with the offensive line with Deion Dawkins. You're talking about a guy that you know probably not quite top ten left tackle in the NFL, but really in that like 12 to 15 range, I would say he's above average, but not quite top 10. So he's right in that range. And then Spencer Brown, a player they picked in the third round last season, was able to get on the field as a rookie. Um, they doubled up on tackles with Brown and Tommy Doyle, kind of hoping that one of them would be able to work out and maybe slot himself into tackle. And yeah, that's exactly what happened. Spencer Brown kind of hit the ground, looked pretty good. And now he's going to head into the second NFL season as a starter. And it looks like they found something there. Ryan Bates at right guard is a player that the Chicago Bears tried to uh, tender him and take him away from the uh, the Bills. The Bills matched his tender, showing how much they you know really like him. And he is a player that, if needed, could step into tackle. But it seems like now he went from a player that was a swing guard slash tackle to he got a little bit of playing time last season. A team like the Bears saw it and offered him some money. And the Bills said, okay, now that we know what we have, um, we're going to have to pay him like a starting right guard. So he's going to step into that starting right guard. And then there's the two veterans, Mitch Morse, who they signed from the Chiefs, really has been an excellent signing for what uh, the past like three years, really all of Josh Allen's playoff runs have been with Mitch Morse and then Roger Saffold, someone they signed recently from the Tennessee Titans. The thing with Saffold is, you know, he's really getting up there in age. So um, it's a question, but you happen to say that the, the tackle depth is questionable, especially in terms of, like I said, they doubled up on Brown and Tommy Doyle. Doyle hasn't really hit anything quite yet, but their interior depth um, between, and Cody Ford has typically been a bust so far, and that's what's ascending Ryan Bates, a UDFA, into um, 
into starting is that a second round pick like Cody Ford hasn't really hit the ground, you know, hasn't been able to do that. So they may cut Ford, but still in terms of depth, you don't hate that. Greg Mance, depth, you don't hate that. Greg Van Roten, they signed him as depth and Ike Bodker um, coming off of an injury, so probably not even going to play. But overall, you kind of have to trust what they're doing on the offensive line. You move to the running back position. They draft James Cook in the second round. Um, really set off waves in the fantasy football community. He shot up in especially dynasty drafts. Um, I still think in some forms of redraft you can take James Cook. I think in dynasty drafts he started to get too high, mainly because we're going to see what this offense is, but I don't think... One, Cook is going to be a pass-catching back, and that's going to provide value for him, but I don't think he's ever going to be a complete overall back, and I don't think as a pass-catching back, I think there's so much to Josh Allen being able to throw the football down the field that I don't know if there's enough there for him to be a fantasy-relevant player. I think overall, like I said, there's not much to talk about Josh Allen because a player like James Cook, in my opinion, is where you get to talking about Josh Allen and saying that this increases his ability because this is just another check down play where if Josh Allen is, you know, pushing the ball downfield, pushing the ball downfield, perhaps taking sacks against the Jaguars like last season, you know, the interior offensive line is coming apart like last season. Um, you need a potential check down or a potential area to where you can circumvent the pass rush when you don't have extra bodies in to protect because the Bills don't like to do that. They really like to spread five wide and, you know, make that fifth defensive player, your fifth best coverage player on defense, really make him cover in one-on-one -on -one situations. But when you do that, you have five offensive linemen with absolutely no help. So instead of giving them help via having an extra running back into block, they want to put that help in terms of James Cook can be, basically they tried to sign J.D. McKissick uh, Washington has a bunch of Carolina people. The Carolina people know the Buffalo people very well from Brandon Bean, spent his time in Carolina. The Bills GM came from Carolina when they had Cam Newton and Keekley, and he tried to recreate it with Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds here and really, you know, has built that up. But they know Ron Rivera and those people from Washington tried to steal McKissick from him. Uh, Bean is saying there was some foul play, some things that, you know, Washington did some uh, – you know, some unwritten rules and things like that to keep J.D. McKissick. Buffalo was really ticked off about losing J.D. McKissick, and then they draft James Cook in the second round. In my opinion, I think they were desperate from losing J.D. McKissick. They had all these plans for J.D. McKissick, and they went up and over overdrafted James Cook, which it's hard to say overdrafted because it's a team that doesn't have a lot of needs and James Cook, like I said, because of his role and because they needed that role in J.D. McKissick, McKissick was going to do um, some of the chipping off the edge. He was going to do the check down stuff. He was going to do the, you can put him in the slot and put him in motion, and that can freeze pass rushers off of the edge because they have to be aware of the jet sweep, and you can hand him the jet sweep, and that's what Cook is going to do, but... When you look at J.D. McKissick's stats, it's not like he's this overall superstar in fantasy. He just happens to have a role that makes him valuable and that the Buffalo Bills felt they needed things like that to slow up the pass rush and so that they could continue to go five wide. So really, Cooks just dampers the value of everybody. Zach Moss, somebody that they tried to make inactive at times, doesn't seem like they like his maturity. With the drafting of Cook, he's obviously the number three. And when you look at a guy like, you know, uh, they signed Duke Johnson, which I think was uh, their, you know, they couldn't get McKissick. So they signed Duke Johnson. They said, we can't just rely on Duke Johnson. So they drafted 
James Cook, so I don't know if he'll be there for long. But Taiwan Jones is a special teams guy, so you think Zach Moss is getting faded out here is how I see it. I see it as Singletary is probably going to be the between-the-tackles guy, and he's been good enough between the tackles. They've just had to put him into too much of a pass-catcher role because Moss has been mainly their between-the-tackles guy. So I think they're going to trust Singletary between the tackles. They're going to trust Cook as their pass-catching back. It's going to be more of a one-two punch, and Moss is going to be out of the picture. But, you know, Singletary's not going to get the receptions that make him fantasy valuable, and James Cook isn't going to get the touchdowns and valuable carries to close out games that make him valuable. I think the combination helps Josh Allen a little bit more than some of these other things. So really, you know, arguably the winner of the James Cook draft selection is Josh Allen, is the Bills offense overall. And that's where I say, did they overreach on the talent? Because maybe he wasn't a second round talent. Maybe he isn't going to be this all around back that you want to take in the second round. But he's the added weapon to a team that doesn't have a lot of needs that makes the offense go. So maybe that was a little more valuable. And then you look at the receiver room. Stefan Diggs um, really, you know, was the number one receiver in 2020 thought he could potentially, you know, or him and Adams, you know, could really be that again in 2021. Um, didn't necessarily happen, but when you look at it, he had the same targets. His efficiency just wasn't nearly as as there last season. Some of it may be the offensive line play, some other things, but I don't think when you think about um, people talking about the signings they made and Gabe Davis stepping up, is that going to cut into Stefan Diggs? I think that's variance in a lot of ways that Diggs, you know, you look at his touchdowns, you look at his catch percentage, but when you look at his targets, they were the exact same. Everything else was just down from his 2020 season. When you assume that his first season with the Bills with no camaraderie or no anything, you know, you don't think that that would be his career year and then he would just tail off from there. So I personally think that, you know, he's going to be in that 160 target range just like he was the past two seasons. I think that, you know, even if there is a little bit in between the two, he's a top five receiver. When you look at, you know, kind of the fantasy rankings, he's basically in that top five range. Um, you know, everyone kind of has Cooper Cup, Jeff, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase as the top three, but you would think, I think him and C. The Lamb are four and five there, and you could potentially break them either way. But I think, you know, because Lamb is young and ascending, Diggs is a little bit older. But I think Diggs is going to get right back to potentially being the number one receiver. Statistically, because like I said, I think this offense is going to continue to play fast, and they're going to continue to with outlets like James Cook, it's going to continue to be one-on-one matchups where they can motion Stefan Diggs into specific matchups that they like and find advantages. And like I said, he was still getting similar um, similar targets and everything like that, similar opportunity. It just wasn't capitalizing as much. And I think I don't think that that's like a talent deficiency thing. I think that you know it's just really how um, it just goes sometimes and it's going to bounce back at, at some point here. Gabe Davis is somebody that everybody's talking about after his huge playoff game. And the fact that Emmanuel Sanders is now out of the picture, the issue that I have with Gabe Davis is there was a reason, in my opinion, why Emmanuel Sanders kept starting over him. And it's because Emmanuel Sanders has the full route tree. Gabe Davis is typically a vertical player, a straight line player. There's not as much when he turns and cuts and things of that nature, which is why the fourth round pick... Um, went in that area and why it's taken him a few years to get going. And, you know, even at UCF, he's a vertical player, straight line player, all those things. Big plays are going to come out of that. And that's where he always was, you know, taking advantage was the big play. So when he hits, he's going to hit huge. When he doesn't hit, I think there's still going to be a hit or miss to him that it's still hard for me to get all the way in on him in fantasy. I think, you know, 
one of those cliche better in best ball players because you don't have to worry about when he's going to hit and it's really not going to be defense specific because when he gets that one step down the seam or when you can slide him into the slot and he gets that one step, he's going to be hard to defend and he goes up and attacks the football in the air and he's a winner in the air and things of that nature, but he's still... And he's gotten better at back shoulders and things like that. But when you cut over the middle of the field, when you run slants and things like that, you know, when it's third and four and need five, that's typically where, you know, Emmanuel Sanders was. And yeah, on the fantasy charts and things like that, maybe it didn't hold up as much, but that's why the Buffalo Bills were starting him over them. And that's why it took until the playoffs for Gabe Davis to really explode. Although you saw throughout the season, there were bits and pieces of explosion. I think that you could argue that that's going to happen more often because he'll get more opportunity but I think he's still going to be the same up and down nature, a similar player to that Emmanuel Sanders role last season. Um, Jamison Crowder, I think actually is an upgrade from Cole Beasley last season. Crowder probably is getting injured more than Beasley, but Crowder's younger and Beasley was getting injured too much last season. It seemed like Beasley with the COVID stuff with, you know, coming off of a career year in 2020, he just completely fell off in my opinion. You know, he was dropping passes. He wasn't nearly as consistent in 2021. And that was another thing that kind of had the offense not hitting on all cylinders. I think you add Jamison Crowder to the mix, you know, another quick check down player that makes life easier for Josh Allen, helps the offensive line. I think that was a great pick. And then Khalil Shakur, in my opinion, just steps into the Gabe Davis role. You know, so Gabe Davis will get Emmanuel Sanders target, but I don't think there's excess targets because Jamison Crowder could arguably get more than Cole Beasley got last season. So that's going to hurt Gabe Davis. And then Khalil Shakur, I think, is going to get the Gabe Davis role where it was, you know, a splash player, a fourth receiver who can run down the seam and things of that nature. I compared Khalil Shakur to Nelson Aguilar coming out of college because of, you know, that ability to get deep down the field, um, typically from the slot and, you know, stretch teams from the slot, which is what the Buffalo Bills, you know, they do it with Diggs. They, they're going to do it with Gabe Davis. They're going to do it with Khalil Shakur um, and Isaiah McKenzie, who, you know, could be a best ball candidate because, you know, people are saying that with the injuries of Jamison Crowder, um, the Bills already had McKenzie in here. You could see McKenzie take a step forward, whereas they're going to, you know, ease ease Crowder in and not give him the snaps because they know that he's going to get hurt. But either way, Khalil Shakur stepping into that fourth role, you could say, you know, a lot of people are going to say, okay, Gabe Davis adds explosiveness that Emmanuel Sanders didn't. Jamison Crowder is, you know, a more consistent um, when he's on the field, better version of Cole Beasley. McKenzie takes a step forward. Khalil Shakur slides into that same Gabe Davis role. This is going to be a team, you know, like I said, I think that really Diggs is going to be the breadwinner and all these complementary players, because they all have such a specific role, it fits with each other. <clears throat> you know, Davis and Khalil being the deep players, Crowder and McKenzie being sort of the underneath players, and even within that, them all having different skill sets, it fits. But um, like I said, I think the big winner is Josh Allen, and then the other winner is Diggs because the offense is going to flow through Diggs. They just have the perfect core of skill players. And then the other one is um, at tight end, you know, uh, Dawson Knox. And then O.J. Howard gets into the mix. Howard's been a huge bust for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to see injuries has been some of the issue, but I think he's still under 25 years old. I'll have to research it live on the show, which isn't what you want to do. But either way, I think – you know, uh, he's tw oh, he's 27 years old. It's in Joku, who's about 25 years old. But either way, um, Howard is probably going to be the extra blocker for most parts. And like I said, that's where if you want to put Knox in the slot and if you want to have him run routes and things like that, 
at least you could help your offensive line in some way by putting O.J. Howard in there. Potentially you could help your run game by putting O.J. Howard in there. Potentially you could put O.J. Howard in motion and get him passes to the slant to the flats. That would ease the concerns of, you know, uh, like I said, when teams would just all out attack the Buffalo Bills last season. That was typically when they had their biggest issue. So um, James Cook, O.J. Howard, um, upgrading from Jamison Crowder, you know, to Cole Beasley, things like that, I think, are what they had in mind when they were saying, okay, we need to get a little bit of the pressure off of Josh Allen, get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. And that's where, like I said, I think I think the big issue is where that's where I don't take Gabriel Davis. I think Diggs is going to be in the same role. I just think that Allen's going to get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker, and that is where, um, yeah, you don't take Singletary either because if you want to take a running back, it's going to be James Cook. I just don't think... I don't think there's all that much between either of them. Then you go to the defense. We'll look into their nickel front. Um, on Starting with the edge rushers, Gregory Rousseau had a really great rookie season for a first-round pick. Uh, they took a shot on the athleticism, the upside. You know, one of the things was with A.J. Epinesa, a player, they took in the second round in 2020, they kind of bet on, okay, he doesn't have the traits, but he has the production, he has the skill set, he has what we want, and he didn't hit. So they took uh, Gregory Rousseau the year later, who's, you know, all traits, size, speed, you know, skill set, everything like that, and he ends up actually having a stellar rookie season. So the potential is that Gregory Rousseau is joining Vaughn Miller as the two edge rushers in Miller, arguably for the money, a little overrated. But, you know, I was listening to someone say that the Bills have been, you know, sitting on good money and they've been spending right for years. And they said, you know, after that loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, we just need to, you know, do something big and extravagant. And a veteran like Vaughn Miller, and I think, you know, maybe even off the field, the way he conducts himself helps Gregory Rousseau more than it even helps, you know, the fact that maybe he's a, he's a tick down from off the field. But, you know, you saw Miller, okay, he doesn't have the best regular season for the Rams, but when the money's on the line, or, you know, not even on the line because they're playing for playoff checks, but when the, when the Super Bowl's on the line, Vaughn Miller really showed up. So I think that's something that the Buffalo Bills have in mind. And beyond that, I think you can give him rest because Epines is still going to be in the mix. Um, Boogie Basham, another player who um, didn't have a good rookie season. He's heading into year two. So, you know, Shaq Lawson, they have the depth there, but they don't really have the talent there. And that's where I think they said, let's just go spend big on this and let's just see if this hits because we need to try something. Uh, Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver are going to be the two guys in the middle joining Miller and Rousseau. Uh, Daquan Jones... Another guy that they picked up, you know, really good interior defensive lineman. And Ed Oliver is entering, what, year four now, and he's really starting to hit his stride, and this could really be a breakout year for him. So when you combine Rousseau and Oliver, you could really get excited about what they're doing. You do have questions about Vaughn Miller with his age. And as we get further back on the Buffalo Bills defense, I think there's going to be a little more questions. But um, with Tim Settle and Jordan Phillips, you know, Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver, that's a really feared foursome, and that could really do some damage. Matt Milano and Trey Edmonds, uh, Tremaine Edmonds when you get back to the second level. Um, Milano got paid, started to see some injuries come up, started to slow down a little bit. I would be a little bit worried about Matt Milano entering the 2022 season. I think he could get picked on in coverage in some ways. Tremaine Edmonds doesn't really get the coverage stats, but it's because he's such a big body that he's able to take up so much space in the middle of the field, I'd expect for them to extend him this offseason. But I think they're between them, I think their reputation is the best duo in the NFL. And I think there may be some cracks there. We're going to see. Um, Terrell Bernard steps in for AJ Klein, a rookie um, from Baylor. I like Bernard. I want to see if that's a downgrade or not because I could certainly see that. And then a guy like uh, Balen Spector might be stepping in for Tyler Matakavich. Um, 
in terms of depth. You move to the safeties because you look at Poyer and Hyde, and it's similar to Milano and Edmonds, where on paper you say these are two of the best in the NFL. Both of them are going to be 31 this season, so it's at least going to be worth looking into. Um, you know, do one of them fall off? Do either of them start to fall off? Is that going to start to become an issue? Because when you add in the cornerback room, you say Tredavious White is coming off an ACL injury. You know, I don't think he'll be ready for week one. He'll be ready for the season, but it's going to be, you know, a, a, you know, things like that. It's going to be tough. Um, and then Kair Elam is a first round pick. He's a rookie. Um, he hit the ground running. He was, you know, 17 at Florida in the SEC and had a great freshman season. Hasn't really even lived up to the freshman season, but um, you kind of think when the lights are on, when the NFL gets looking at him, um, you think he'll, he'll be good, but he's still a rookie. So, you know, you got a rookie on one side. You got Tredavious White coming off the ACL on the other side. You got Teron Johnson, a pretty good slot cornerback in the middle. But when you add in that the two safeties are a little bit older, you add in that, you know, the injuries with Milano, some questions with Tremaine Edmonds and things like that. I think maybe the back end is going to be the question, and that's where I go back to. You know, I think this Bills offense will be something to invest in because they should be able to fire on all cylinders. And perhaps if the defense is worse, then it's going to help the Buffalo Bills offense even more. So um, when you look at it, you poke holes in the defense. You say the offensive coordinator change. You say they don't have depth at tackle. Um, you know, questions are running back potentially. But I still put them out on uh, my – projections I think I've done like eight of them at 12.4 wins overall so um I think if I had to do anything I would lean over I think to, uh, it's 11 and a half right now so 12.4 there's really no value I think 12 wins is more likely than 11 wins or anything like that I think you could start to see some kinks in the armor on defense but when you think of Rousseau and when you think of Oliver and when you think of Elam and when you think of the fact that if Tredavious White gets back to himself um now you're talking about a team that Yes, some of the guys like Poyer and Hyde are starting to get older, but some of the younger guys are really starting to step into their place. So it could still be a really good defense, and that is poking holes in them in terms of could they be a Super Bowl team? We're going to see about you know things like that defense and things like the offensive coordinator change. All right, so we're going to move on to the Miami Dolphins, and it means two attack of Aloha time, and it means uh, the addition of Mike McDaniel, the offensive coordinator. Frank Smith is going to be the O.C., um, but Mike McDaniel's the head coach, and he's going to be the play caller. Um, he comes from the San Francisco 49ers. A lot of people think, you know, while Shanahan's a great coach, um, Shanahan, uh, Mike McDaniel's been around since Mike Shanahan with the Denver Broncos way back in the day. That's how long Mike McDaniel's been a friend of Kyle Shanahan. So some people see him as the boy genius kind of behind the scenes and things like that. We're obviously going to see now that he's got his own ship and everything like that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see with Tua Tagovailoa compared to uh, to Jimmy Garoppolo when uh, Tua came out of college. and thought that was pretty apt. I think a lot of people now are comparing Tua to Jimmy Garoppolo because of the connection to Mike McDaniel and saying, okay, you know, if you can get that out of Jimmy, he can get that out of Tua. I'm saying, what has Tua shown in the last two years that makes you even think that he could be Jimmy Garoppolo? You know, potentially I was being too high comparing him to Jimmy Garoppolo. You know, when everyone else was comparing him to Russell Wilson, I was saying, you know, hey, this is Jimmy Garoppolo, not Russell Wilson, guys. And now I'm saying, you know, is this is this even Jimmy Garoppolo? Can he even get the ball out with the consistency and the timing and the ability to put the ball into tight spaces? I think is the real question that Jimmy Garoppolo is fearless in some regards, and that's what leads to his injuries. And I think both of them throw off of their back foot when they see pressure, and I thought that that was one thing that they really had in common. But I haven't seen the same ability from Tua. You can argue that 
Um, Brian Flores had, I think it was four offensive coordinators in three seasons. Um, and beyond the fact that it seemed like he was so pissed off that they took Tua over Justin Herbert that he never gave Tua a shot. Um, and that's where, you know, some of that, the things with the lawsuit are obviously true. Some of the things are, you know, he, he was he was rough on Tua and a lot of teams, whether it's black or white, are going to choose the quarterback over the uh head coach sometimes sometimes they're going to choose the head coach and that's why Flores is suing and everything like that but I think you know some of it is true that Tua wasn't in the best situation and things like that but then Mike McDaniel goes out and adds Teddy Bridgewater who could easily you know be that like everyone keeps saying oh if Jimmy Garoppolo just get the football out on time just get the football out on time you know that's where Tua's arguably been struggling you know whether it's the offensive coordinators the pieces around him at what have you um they're hoping that's what McDaniel fixes, but Teddy Bridgewater comes in and says, you know, I'm not going to discuss my role in the team. I don't want to discuss what the coaches told me. Um, you know, bring some red flags and say, well, what did the coaches tell him? And then, you know, Mike McDaniel reassures that, okay, no, this is to his team. You know, Teddy, we told Teddy he's going to be the backup, you know, clearing it in public, but I'm still, the signing of Teddy, the fact that I think Teddy knows he would only go to a place that he was going to start, I thought that he would be interested in Pittsburgh, you know, because I thought that he may think that he could start there. So for him to go to Miami over Pittsburgh, you know, arguably I think Pittsburgh had more interest in Mitch Trubisky, and I think Teddy actually made more money than Mitch Trubisky, even though Trubisky's younger. Um, but I think Teddy thinks that he can start, you know, and that's where I sit back and say, Tua, can I buy into Tua with you know, added weapons with the Mike McDaniel system, with the play action, you know, some of it's going to be because he's lefty turning his back to the defense and, you know, having to pick up things a little quicker. So I'm not as high on Tua right now. I still can't get behind him in fantasy. I haven't gotten behind him yet in fantasy, although, you know, we play best ball. So, you know, typically in managed leagues, you can kind of wait a little bit longer for quarterback. But either way, I'm interested to see you know, I'm not willing to give Mike McDaniel the boy genius label quite yet. I'm willing to see how he's going to fix Tua, or, you know, quote-unquote fix Tua. But um, I'm also willing to see by week six or seven, you know, the two and four Dolphins put Teddy Bridgewater in there to potentially save their season. And then next season, um, I, Tom Brady, you know, um, I think all those rumors were very realistic. Um, I think Sean Payton will talk about it, you know, probably will be the Cowboys coach next season because I think that's what – potentially foiled the Tom Brady to Miami stuff. Um, Brady can get out of his contract this season, potentially could head to Miami next season. A lot of the pieces are in play. I don't think they're committed to it for the long term. And I think, you know, a season here could potentially set things up for that. So you start to look into the running backs. Um, mainly what it's going to be, you know, it's funny because last season it was Gaskin and Salvin Ahmed, and those two are still on the roster, but you'd probably say those are like the fifth and sixth guys, fourth and fifth guys, with Chase Edmonds, Sonny Michelle, and Raheem Mostert, all three ahead of them. And, you know, you saw it back in San Francisco that, yes, I think if one thing uh, McDaniel really had an influence on was the running game and the personnel and things of that nature. So, um, you know, because just like the little details and things like that, I think McDaniel had a lot of say in. And so when you say that the 49ers use three running backs a lot, and then you come to San, or you come to Miami and you say they have Chase Edmonds, Sonny Michelle, Raheem Mostert, three guys that they signed all this offseason, you say, I think those are all McDaniel-type signings. You say Chase Edmonds is probably going to be not necessarily the all-around back, but he's going to be able to do a little bit of everything, which gives him that all-around label. Um, he can catch little passes. He can play first and third down, you know, things like that. He can run between the tackles. He can, he can uh, block and things like that. So um, 
He's got arguably the most pop. Um, Mostert is probably a little bit faster, but he's a little bit shiftier, and Mostert's coming off of knee surgery. And then, um, yeah, Mostert really is, um, he's more of the straight line home run hitter. Um, you know, put him in for, you know, those outside zone runs and hope that he can break one for a big one. So, you know, you kind of put Edmonds in to, you know, kind of grind out a few yards here and there. And also he can catch passes. Mostert's not going to catch as many passes, but when he gets that runway, um, he could really take it all the way. And then Sonny Michelle's arguably the opposite and that, you know, he's going to pound in the touchdowns and things like that. And that's where I go to and say, um, I don't think, you know, Edmonds isn't going to be that home run hitter that Mostert is. Edmonds isn't going to get the goal line touches that Mostert or that Sonny Michelle is. You know, Sonny Michelle in the late rounds, you know, in best ball, you might want to take that because, you know, 40 yards and a touchdown really gets you a lot more than, you know, than you could imagine. And that's why I typically pass on Chase Edmonds and typically want to see how these running backs shake out. They also added Zaquandre White from uh, South Carolina, UDFA, but a player worth looking into. And I think a player that would probably be in that Sonny Michelle role. And then they added Alex Ingram. Gold, who's a fullback who really drives home that they're going to have a running game similar to the San Francisco 49ers, and they're going to use him similarly to uh, the fullback there, which goes into, again, Tom Brady wanted to play for maybe the 49ers, you know, maybe he wants to play for the Miami Dolphins next season. We'll see. All right, next up with the wide receivers, it's this is where, you know, Mike McDaniel's going to have to earn his money is Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, and it's the facts that, especially with Hill, you know, the Chiefs have been able to use him near the line of scrimmage. Obviously, he started his career as more of a gadget player, almost as more of a running back than anything. But as you know, you get a guy like Mahomes, and one of the things was uh, Alex Smith's last season. He you know went from like the twentieth best deep passer to the best deep passer in the NFL. A lot of that had to do with they started to move Tyreek Hill's routes down the football field, and some of the, you that you could say that the accurate Tua. If you know, if Alex Smith could, you know, increase in deep ball accuracy from one year to the other because of a guy like Tyreek Hill, perhaps Tua could do that. The question is, how are they going to use Tyreek Hill? Are they going to use him deep down the football field? Are they going to use him closer to the line of scrimmage because that suits Tua's skill set? And you know, we typically haven't seen with that San Francisco offense. It's really not an aerial attack. You know, it's typically keeps things, you know, easy for the quarterback, keeps the quarterback on the move and things like that. So. Um, Arguably, you would say that fits Jalen Waddle's skill set, who um, had you know how many uh, targets last season. You know, was one of the one of the leaders, and you know he wasn't a star in yards per target, but um, 140 targets as a rookie. You know, um, only 7.3 yards per target because especially with Tua was getting the ball out of his hands quickly, getting the ball to Waddle. Waddle could have been used, you know, jet sweeps, rushes, things like that. Um, to where. Is Tyreek Hill the player on the outside running deep? I wouldn't say being a decoy because it's Tyreek Hill, but is there a potential that we see, you know, the shifting of the guards is going to happen at some point, but does it happen a lot quicker where Jalen Waddell actually leads the Miami Dolphins in targets and Tyreek Hill has more splash and they use Tyreek Hill enough to where, you know, maybe he's not mad, but I don't. I would be more interested in drafting Jalen Waddle at his draft cost than Tyreek Hill at his draft cost just because with the new team, with the new offense, with, you know, what a perfect situation in terms of Andy Reid being able to develop Tyreek Hill, then get him with Mahomes and all those things. And uh, I know Hill isn't quite 30 yet, so he's not going to lose a step yet. And that's where I think that, you know, you could see to it and prove as a deep passer. But I wonder if this is going to be too condensed, if, if there's just a, an ability to kind of slow them down a little bit. Cedric Wilson, another player that, you know, kind of makes you think that if they 
have a player who could push the football down the field, you could really, you know, if you let Cedric Wilson and Tyreek Hill go down the field, you have Waddle as that player that, you know, you just dump off and watch him run and things like that. You could potentially get excited there. Um, Trent Sherfield, the number four receiver from, you know, San Francisco and things like that. So um, he will be a red zone weapon. That's what he was with the San Francisco 49ers. And then Eric Izukana um, from Texas Tech, really going to be a slot guy who, in my opinion, would be in that more short passing game versus Cedric Wilson. So that's where I don't draft Cedric Wilson, just thinking that I don't think that Izukama is going to have better stats than Cedric Wilson. I just don't think that He's a great fit with Tua, and I think that when you look at this receiver core, you could say that, like I keep saying, you know, next season with a better quarterback who can push the football down the field, you wonder if that's what they're waiting for. Um, but the question is going to be with their offensive line because Teron Armstead isn't getting any younger, and he just continually is missing games. Um, the you know, a lot of people are saying that the Saints could have afforded him last season or this season, but they didn't want to get into a bidding war with the Miami Dolphins, and the Miami Dolphins won the bidding war. Um, Armstead's 31 years old now. He missed eight games last season, or he missed nine games last season, missed two the year before, missed a couple games in 2019. Um, really hasn't been fully healthy his entire career. You always see three or four missed games. And the thing you say with Tua is you say, okay, with Drew Brees, when he knows his left tackle's out, he can adjust, he can do this and that. Is Tua going to be able to speed up that clock? Um, and Tua's never had a left tackle, so you know there's 10 games where they have Terrell Arms that are going to be great, but is he going to be able to speed up that clock? And are those six games without, you know, is that is this a thing where, you know, they go six and four with Armstead and 0 oh and five without him? You know, that's not where. That's not going to win you enough games. And then on the right side, um, a lot of people thought that Robert Hunt was going to kick from right guard to right tackle. It seems like they're going to push uh, Austin Jackson from left tackle to right tackle. Austin Jackson's still super young. I still, it seems like it's a bust, and that's the blind side for Tua. Arguably, you could say, you know, Jackson's used to working the blind side for somebody. But like I said, he's arguably been a bust. Um, the thing is, though, between Liam Eikenberg and Robert Hunt, both of them could play right tackle both of them are so much better at guard and if you have Eichenberg and Hunt as your two guards and then you have Dieter and Kinley you know Michael Dieter and Solomon Kinley as your depth you really have a, a great solid interior and then you're kind of just you know like I said the injuries of Teron Armstead and the questions of Austin Jackson was a first round pick has a lot of upside away from being a complete offensive line I just don't trust their tackles nearly as much and then Connor Williams a center um didn't play center for most of his career with the Dallas Cowboys. It's going to be interesting to see how he, you know, steps in there, you know, with Tua, with a new offense, with the outside zone scheme. And then you look at their tight ends, um, Mike Kosicki, he's franchise tagged. Um, I just don't buy him at all in fantasy. Everyone keeps saying uh, the funniest thing is any comparison whatsoever of him to George Kittle because they're both athletic is insane because um, – it's just a different form of athleticism and just a different form of toughness, really, when you think about it. And Kittle, you know, Mike Kosicki isn't a blocker. He's a slot receiver, and they already have multiple slot receivers. And they have Hunter Long, a third-round pick. And, yes, they franchise-tagged Mike Kosicki, but they haven't extended him. In between, Smythe is going to be the blocker. Hunter Long, in my opinion, could be, like, the dual-threat tight end, arguably. So I don't draft Kosicki at all. I think Waddle is the real player to invest in, I think, Potentially, as you get closer to draft season, if you feel good about Tua and you know that you can turn the waiver wire at quarterback, you could get him for a couple starts because he has these skilled players. But like I said, once you lose Teron Armstead for a few games, does it go downhill? With Ty Tyreek Hill, you know, how does he fit? 
you know, are the running backs going to hit the ground running? Um, Eichenberg and Hunt, you know, Eichenberg was starting a tackle last season. They may move Hunt to tackle this offseason. You know, is Jackson better off at guard? There's still a lot of questions to be answered on the Dolphins' offense, and that's where I'm not fully bought in yet. You look to their defense, and it's going to be really interesting because Josh Boyer is a person who um, signed with the New England Patriots as a defensive assistant in 2006 followed Brian Flores when Flores left the Patriots to the Miami Dolphins. And McDaniel said, you know, hey, I like what Flores was doing with his defense. I don't want to change things up. Let's promote Josh Boyer. I think Boyer was the defensive coordinator. Flores was just calling the plays. So it's another one where you say um, a lot of the defensive success was coming down to Flores was playing just a completely different style of defense than anybody else was in the NFL. It really was, you know, with the safeties, the blitzing, with stacking the line of scrimmage, everything like that. So you say, is this going to be the same with um, with Josh Boyer because it's coming from the same tree? Or what are the shakeups going to be? Is Brian Flores a really special person and how he can push buttons and things like that? Um, you look at their edge rushers, Jalen Phillips hit, en- hit enough of the checkpoints in his rookie season uh, first round pick that you'd think that he could really take a step forward in year two as he becomes a more every down pass rusher. They extended Emmanuel Ogba and with them they have a lot of length in terms of their two pass rushers, Jalen Phillips and Ogba on the edges, and they have Melvin Ingram as the third edge rusher. And that's where you think, you know, if you have a guy like Flores or, you know, Boyer, Boyer could potentially the best thing that Melvin Ingram does is not even rushes off the edge but stands over the center and then kind of picks his spot in the interior there and can kind of get free and shake three and things like that. So you want to see how he's able to mix that in. Um, Christian Wilkins really starting to ascend. Uh, I think he's entered his fourth NFL season. Not going to be a superstar status, going to be that like borderline Pro Bowl player kind of throughout his career. But I think that's what a lot of people expected from him. That's why he was kind of a middle of the first round type of pick. Raquan Davis really just a nose tackle. And then Zach Seiler kind of some depth on the interior. So you think that their interior is kind of fine, especially um, when they can get uh, Phillips, Ogba, Wilkins, and then have Melvin Ingram be that free player, free rusher. Um, you think that they could have some success getting home. Jerome Baker took kind of he he's been okay. Um, I think you know missed tackles, things like that. Um, Landon Roberts is a player that was really a Flores guy, and you know I think they drafted Channing Tindall in the third round from Georgia, and potentially you could see him stepping in to that second linebacker spot. He's um, really fast, and he could really help in terms of blitzing and things like that. So. Um, Linebacker core, you know, pretty good. Um, there's enough youth there, and with Baker, there's enough talent there overall. And then it comes down to the secondary, and like I said, how are they going to use these guys? Um, Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, really talented on paper. Byron Jones has been up and down in Miami. Um, you know, you've seen him get beat a lot, um, especially when he gets in man coverage against even, you know, guys like Diggs, um, you know, and Josh Allen can get his matchup. He can really expose that. And then you think of, you know, uh, Noah I has been a huge disappointment, you know, basically a bust of a first round pick. Eric Rowe, um, typically, this is where the thing is, is that, you know, uh, Eric Rowe, Javon Hall and Brandon Jones, um, you wonder how, because, uh, Flores was really the best at mixing and matching them, sticking you know the right guy in the box, moving the right guy deep. They could really shuffle all three of them in specific situations. So it's going to be really interesting to see how Boyer does that. Um, like I kind of said, my questions with Tua, my questions with um, right tackle in the offensive line in general, how McDaniel hits the ground running. Um, through, I think I said I did eight simulations already. I have 
The Miami Dolphins, 7.1 wins overall. Um, so I think I have them under their nine, and I think a lot of that comes down to people think Tyreek Hill. It brings a lot of excitement. Him and Waddle, they have the fastest wide receiver room. But I have enough questions, especially, like I said, you know, if you go 0-5 in games that Teron Armstead missed, then you have to go, you know, what, 9-3 and in games that he starts to hit that 9-win plateau. And, you know, you have to assume that Teron Armstead's going to miss five games, and you have to assume it's going to devastate their offensive line. And, you know, like I said, as much as you want to say that Tyree Hill can hit the ground running, there are plenty of questions with that. So, um, and then, yeah, the questions with... How much of a drop-off is Flores? That's enough for me to give them only seven wins and put them... Uh, I would much rather bet them under their nine wins than I would rather bet the Bills over. All right, on to the most interesting team here, the New England Patriots. And I say that because, you know, even with the Dolphins adding Tyreek Hill to Ron Armstead, a coach that everybody likes, um, I could see them being good. But, I mean, like I kind of said, I think mainly see them sitting around that seven win, you know, don't see them hitting, you know, not like on a Super Bowl run or anything like that. The New England Patriots are a team that arguably last season underperformed their expectations based on their Pythag win percentage, but at the same time, they're a team that, um, you know, they're under their win total from last season in the sports books, and there's a good reason to put that, that, you know, they're in kind of an interesting situation here that Mac Jones Arguably, you know, by some people outperformed expectations during his rookie season. I think a lot of the allure of Mac Jones was that he could hit the ground running. Um, I thought it was funny that, you know, all of his receivers from Alabama said, you know, oh, between Mac Jones and Tua, oh, we, t- we take Mac Jones every day of the week. And, you know, a bunch of analysts were like, no, no, they're wrong. They're wrong. And it's like, no, they definitely said that they liked Mac Jones over Tua. And, you know, when I watched Mac Jones, I didn't go into, you know, I didn't click it on thinking, you know, okay, I'm going to like this guy a lot more than Tua. But you walked away saying, no, this guy is better than Tua. And, you know, that's kind of where you say, okay. If you put all the pieces from the Miami Dolphins around Mac Jones, you'd probably start getting really excited here. With where the Patriots are, they're just in such an interesting spot now that you wonder, you know, could if even if Mac Jones takes that step year two, I do agree with the fact that he's still limited in some regards, you know, especially his ability to extend the play. I think there's too much put down with him on the deep ball. I think he I think he's accurate enough on the deep ball. I think he's going to be completely fine on the deep ball. I think one of the biggest issues with that was um there were just wasn't there weren't players there and you know he was getting the ball out of his hands quickly. Josh McDaniels was I think in my mind assisting him by helping him get the ball out of his hands quickly, make things easier and then you you know you start with the short stuff and you kind of work towards the long stuff. I think you're going to start to see that this season even without Josh McDaniels, which is going to be one of the more interesting things, but I just thought that was funny that you know Justin Fields kind of fails and they say, "Well, you know, the offense wasn't doing anything easy for him." And then Mac Jones succeeds and they say, "Well, the offense was always doing things easy for him it's like you kind of pick and choose your battles there and I think that he could have success here I do think um I guess we have to talk about it now that I brought it up is that the absence of Josh McDaniels brings in uh, it just sounds crazy and this is you know one of the reasons that I just can't buy into the Patriots like I said the fact that they outperform their expectations they have a second year quarterback who you know hit really strong thresholds as a rookie season, you know, we should be all over the Patriots here, you know, just having a really strong season, you know, winning 10 plus games. I can't do it because of things like, uh, uh, Matt Patricia's arguably their offensive coordinator, or, you know, people think it's going to be Joe judge because Patricia's the offensive line coach or, you know, stepping into the offensive line role or, you know, the run game role. Um, and he's been a defensive coordinator the whole time. And you think, you know, 
it's going to be interesting to see what he knows and what he can bring to the run game. And then Joe Judge, you know, ran one of the most conservative offenses with Jason Garrett as his offensive coordinator with the Giants. And now he's going to be calling plays for the Patriots. It's just, I, I really don't, I mean, you don't know what to expect because it's a special teams coach and a defensive coordinator or splitting time as offensive coordinator. And some people are saying Mac Jones or uh, Belichick is going to do it. Um, and Belichick's working really hands-on with Mac Jones now. Um, I, I mean, like I said, I'm so interested to see what's going to happen because this is one that, like I think, you know, like I said, Mac Jones taking that step in year two could be 10 wins in the playoffs, and this is where they're going to be for now on. I could see this whole thing falling apart because they don't have an offensive coordinator. You start to look into their offensive line and say one of the biggest reasons um, – that I've kind of been in on the Patriots the last couple seasons and, you know, was betting them last season saying, hey, Mac Jones is going to hit the ground running. Let's bet on the Patriots is their offensive line. And um, I think for the most part, you could say that, you know, if they can get, you know, Isaiah Wynn healthy and Trent Brown healthy, they have a really strong tackle duo. Um, Wynn arguably was at his healthiest last season. It's his fourth NFL season. And now you're kind of saying, were the injuries from his younger days catching up to him? You know, is he a good player that, you know, can't be that great player that you thought he could have been when they drafted him in the first round and then Trent Brown missed seven games last season. So can he come back and can they still hit that ground running? Because, you know, a guy like Justin Heron, you know, kind of stepped in last season, but I think you saw the flaws and the creaks in the armor when the Patriots started to fall apart towards the end of the season that it kind of had to do with the offensive line. And then you say that they moved on from, um, Shaq Mason to bring in Cole Strange, really interesting decision because um, I, I, I thought I was really high on Cole Strange, you know, with like a third round grade and then the Patriots take him in the first round, you know, kind of a story that everyone talks about. And you just say that, you know, and I think someone really broke it down really well that the money between Shaq Mason and Cole Strange, when you offset it with the fifth round pick and things of that nature, you say, was this actually the best deal, you know, when you do it with, when you turn Tyreek Hill into Sky Moore or something along those lines, um, and you save, you know, $30 million in the process, you say, okay, that makes a lot of sense. When you do it from Shaq Mason, a guard, to Cole Strange, and you only save a couple million dollars in the process, you say, okay, he's a younger player, but he arguably has to be better next season, or else the money that you saved isn't really like paying all that much, like I said, compared to Devontae Adams versus, you know, whatever. Even when you compare to um, Valdez Scantling versus Christian Watson, you could say that's 10 million versus like 3 million. This still isn't quite, you know, the same with Cole Strange and um, because, you know, one salary is getting out of control and another isn't. You know, you talk about the, uh, quarter, rookie quarterback salaries. You know, they're just paying, the Steelers are paying absolutely nothing right now at quarterback and it allows them to have flexibility financially. The Patriots are paying nothing at quarterback. Allow, you know, when you get a guy like him and, you know, they say, okay, Mac Jones is like Derek Carr, I think he could have upside potentially better. I think he could be a Phillip Rivers type player. But when you have Derek Carr making 35 and he's making eight, you know, it's it's a huge difference. It's just here the Patriots aren't necessarily taking advantage of it with Cole Strange. Um, or arguably, you know, they think they're getting younger. They think they're getting a longer. Um, he's under control for longer. But he has to hit the ground running, like I said, to make this team be what a lot of people think it's going to be. David Andrews, he missed four games in 2020. He came back in 2021. Everything seems fine. Mike Onwenu um, seems fine, you know, in terms of a right guard or really a power player. So, you know, the offensive line could be a really run heavy, and that's where Cole Strange came from Chattanooga where they ran the ball like crazy. Could be a run heavy team. Mac Jones completes all the easy stuff. 
Hopefully you can add some deep stuff and he can get a little bit more mature in those areas. So you could be excited, but there's plenty of questions, especially in terms of offensive coordinator. And especially in terms of, like I said, Andrews missed four games the year prior, um, 2020. Trent Brown missed seven games. Isaiah Wynn has missed games his entire career. So um, then you look into the running backs and you say, uh, it's probably going to be a mixture of Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. But the real question is that they drafted Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris in the fourth and sixth round in, in Pierre Strong. You draft an outside zone person. They've been a man uh, heavy uh, and you know you look at their offensive line it's a ton of power players you know you run a ton of power and things like that and that's where typically um, Harris and Stevenson have probably been better you could say that Stevenson at times could be okay in the outside zone Harris is really you know a gap type of you know get downhill type of runner so you know that's where it comes down to you know are they changing schemes you know why did they draft two running backs was it just to fill depth because James White is not going to play this season it doesn't sound like but they already had JJ Taylor who was getting snaps in that regard so you know you say okay Pierre Strong maybe slides into that James White role and they have Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris I think the thing is that um Ramondre Stevenson is probably the guy to own here because like I said I think whichever scheme they move to he can adapt to either one and he's a better pass catcher than Damian Harris already. So he can take enough of the between the tackles. He can get touchdowns from Andre Stevenson because he's a, he's a load, you know, but he can also catch passes. And the fact that um, he was, you know, last season was his rookie season. Damian Harris fumbled a lot, um, had some injuries, um, doesn't catch passes. Ramondre Stevenson had some issues early in his rookie season, but as the season started to come on, I would say by about week 12, you would say that it was pretty apparent that um, Ramondre Stevenson was the better running back than than Damian Harris, and I think that'll continue into this offseason, or into this season as well, so you're going to want to take Ramondre Stevenson over Damian Harris. Then you move into the um, receiver room. I think the guy to own is going to be Jacoby Myers because, like I said, um, Mac Jones, for the most part, is still going to be in that game manager. They're still going to run the ball heavy. But the player that can get, one, the most targets is Myers, and then, two, really can, can turn it into potentially the most yards, and he hasn't caught touchdowns yet. But you assume at some point the variance will allow Jacoby Myers to get into the end zone, and he's going at a really low price. Um, could probably try and look it up real quick and see that uh, some other names around him that kind of, you know, he's in Jarvis Landry territory and Robert Woods territory, you know, guys on new teams that aren't really, um, you know, locked into anything, anything quite yet. And, you know, Kenny Galladay, um, Jamison Crowder, like I said, guys on new teams, you know, or Kenny Galladay was just a bust last season and it's a new offensive coordinator, but really, you know, speculative things, you know, it's really speculative what, what those guys are going to do. Whereas Jacoby Myers, it maybe not the upside of, you know, Kenny Galladay can catch big touchdowns, but Jacoby Myers can get you, you know, seven for 70. And that can, especially around those parts, that can be just fine. Kendrick Bourne um, typically has been uh, a red zone target. He's probably going to be that as well. They traded for Devontae Parker. And the big thing, and like I said, that I think, you know, they added Nelson Aguilar last season. They paid him a ton of money. Um, it seems like a complete miss. I think he's going to be out of the picture, or at least out of the top four, because they traded up for Tyquan Thornton, which is fascinating because they traded ahead of, um, you know, picks like such as uh, George Pickens and Sky Moore, players that I thought were better than Tyquan Thornton, and players that went to the Chiefs and Steelers, teams that draft receivers better than the Patriots. Uh, so it makes you wonder about the trading up for Tyquan Thornton. But what it does tell me is that they don't believe that Mac Jones just can't throw deep. They believe that if they add some deep players 
that it can be a lot better. And Nelson Aguilar wasn't that last season. They believe Tyquan Thornton can get deep, and that's really what he does. Um, he's dropped a few. He's honestly similar to Nelson Aguilar in how he plays, but he can stretch the field. Devontae Parker on the outside as a big body can stretch the field. But in my opinion, that still just opened things up for the easy money for Mac Jones, and that is Jacoby Myers over the middle of the field. And then there's Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Johnny Smith wasn't really able to get into the mix last season. Um, some injuries. Some people think the offensive coordinator and potentially changing would um, benefit Johnny Smith, but of the two, I have to draft uh, Hunter Henry and say that Hunter Henry is the better value. And I think it comes down to if they can get, if Tyquan Thornton can get the safeties to creep deep, it can really open things up for Myers and Hunter Henry. And, you know, especially it's going to be a power running game anyways. So, you know, a lot of third and three for five, things of that nature to Henry. But the fact is, when you look at the tight end landscape in fantasy football, it's not pretty anyways. And Hunter Henry goes so late as it is that, um, you know, he goes around with where Cameron Brait and things like that. But there is, you know, uh, Gerald Everett and David Njoku are guys who go below Hunter Henry. And it's typically because of their upside. I'll just take them over Hunter Henry. But I think the, the offense, in my opinion, will run through. Stevenson on the ground with Harrison with Harris as a um, potential goal line and potential Thornton Stevenson side. But I think it's going to be like 60-40 for Stevenson in my opinion, you know, as it slowly progresses towards the younger guy. But then it's going to go through Myers and Hunter Henry in the passing game. Now when you look at the defense, this is where I'm going to have the serious questions. And I think that um, Gerard Mayo is a head coach candidate. Steve Belichick has been, you know, uh, moving up the ranks. And that's why I think Bill Belichick is going to have more of a hand in his offense this season. But still, there's some serious questions in terms of their defense. And, you know, Matt Judon had a great season, um, a really good pass rusher. They move him and put him in situations where he can win. But the rest of the defensive line, um, Barmore is pretty good entering his second NFL season. I think he hit enough checkpoints during his rookie season that you can trust him. But, um, you know, guys like uh, Devon Godchow, Brian Cowart, Lawrence Guy, Guy's a pretty good run stuffer. Henry Anderson, a good run stuffer. Dietrich Wise, a good run stuffer. But um, really, you know, Barmore is a great plugger. Judon is a great pass rusher. They have enough in their depth to kind of suffice. But I don't think, you know, it's not a really good um, dynamic front in any regard. You look to the linebackers, it's a lot of the same. Um, traded Chase Winovich for Mac Wilson. I, you know, they may see something in Mac Wilson that I haven't seen, but he's been, you know, he's a fifth round pick and he hasn't really done anything to this regard. Um, Jawan Bentley's a big body, but he hasn't been, you know, they've kind of have tried to replace Jamie Collins with him. And, you know, he's been a big body in the middle of the field, but he doesn't have quite the coverage ability. And then, um, you know, Josh Uche is typically just like a, uh, a defensive pass rusher he really just all that's all he does Cameron McGrone kind of had a wash rookie season and now he's heading into his second season and Raekwon McMillan is more of just a run stuffer when you look at this linebacker group you wonder if they can get passed on in a lot of ways and that's where you start to dig into the secondary and you say um you know they lost um what's his name JC Jackson and they you know with the replacements of Malcolm Mitch or Malcolm Butler, who they brought out of retirement, and Terrence Mitchell, who you know is kind of bounced around the NFL and has been a number two for some teams, but hasn't ever been quality. Jawan Williams has kind of been a bust to this point. Jalen Mills, they overpaid; it wasn't a great decision. 
Jonathan Jones and Marcus Jones and Miles Bryant <laughs> are arguably all their three best cornerbacks, but in Miles Bryant and Marcus Jones, those two are, I think, under five foot eight. So um, you look at these cornerbacks, and that's where you keep saying, you know, they may be able to get passed on. Uh, Jason McCourty, I don't think, is going to be back here. You look at their safeties, this is actually a strong suit with Devin McCourty kind of playing deep, and it allows them to mix in Jabril Peppers, Adrian Phillips, and Kyle Duggar. You could argue that Duggar is the starting safety, Jabril is the dime, and Phillips is a line backer because he's better than Mac Wilson and Juwan Bentley um you know obviously leaves them a little bit thin but they're so heavy besides him that you know you say okay they're going to go extra safeties they're going to put a heavy guy like Bentley in the middle of the field and between you know Barmore and Guy as just pure run stuffers um and, and really Dietrich Wise is a run stuffer as well you know they can blitz with Judon and try and get home and that's where you know you say they don't have the pieces, but if they play them right with a guy like Gerard Mayo and a guy like Belichick, um, give them at least enough of the benefit of the doubt. But I feel like this is an average defense at best, and on paper, it's probably worse than that. You just trust, like I said, you, you trust their safety depth, and you trust that uh, between Barrymore and Judon, you trust the talent there. Uh, that they can, and like I said, the coaching that they can get by there. So, like I said, it's a team that you know last season. The way that they played were projected to win 10 or more games this season. Uh, potential drop-offs on the offensive line, potential questions in health on the offensive line. Uh, don't have an offensive play caller. You know, the, adding Devontae Parker and Tyquan Thornton should help Mac Jones. I like Mac Jones. I think the defense is going to take a big step back, and I'm concerned about who's coaching what right now. And that's where I have them at 8.1 wins uh, through eight projections going to do more throughout the season haven't bet on it but leaning under and the most of my projections recently because uh, I've been tweaking it have been uh, going closer and closer towards you know seven or eight wins more than it has you know one of the first projections I had them at 10 wins and then just looking into their defense more kind of tweaking them down a little bit in my ratings and things like that started to get closer to seven or eight wins so maybe leaning under for the Patriots but haven't bet it yet kind of just giving them one the benefit of the doubt and two saying that they have a run game and they have a, a young quarterback who can complete passes and that's going to get them you know enough competition and we'll finish this thing off with the New York Jets and a team that's really fascinating here you know I I think I said every team's fascinating, but either way, it's a fun division, whether people think it is or not, and that's Zach Wilson going second overall, and like I kind of said, if you had to rank the quarterbacks right now, um, you would say that Mac Jones, who was the fourth pick uh, of all the quarterbacks in the last draft class, it would go uh, Josh Allen, Mac Jones, uh, I guess then Tua, then Zach Wilson, because Zach Wilson's shown absolutely nothing, and you could say that the skill players around him, the offensive line around him, um, all of those things are fair. Um, you could also say that uh, Mike White and Joe Flacco, every receiver was more productive with Mike White and Joe Flacco than Zach Wilson. And one of the things is that Zach Wilson has this physical talent or wants to have this physical talent. I don't think – I know he put on a lot of weight this offseason and I want to kind of see that. But um, the biggest thing for me is that he wants to be um, – you know, the Russell Wilson off his back foot, you know, falling off his shoulder and things like that. And it's like you have to play in structure. At some point you have to play in structure. And he's so scared to play in structure. And it's one of the biggest things that, that's held Baker Mayfield back for his career. And it's what I compared Zach Wilson to as Baker Mayfield is that too much of wanting to be Russell Wilson and not enough of wanting to be Drew Brees, you know, or, or something along those lines and just sticking in the pocket and not, you know, 
just playing precise football. And I've heard out of training camp or out of OTA so far, that's been the biggest thing is that Wilson looks bulked up, but he wants to just be that player that, you know, like everyone says, you know, that uh, rolls out and brought off his back foot 60 yards in the air. Like you do that once a season, you know, like that's not a pass that you have to make all the time. And the passes that Wilson has to make all the time are where he often struggles. And that's where it's hard to buy into Zach Wilson, even despite the fact that they did a lot this offseason. Um, for him. I'm still nervous about him, but I know that there's no excuses for him this offseason because arguably even more than the Miami Dolphins, although the Miami Dolphins added a bigger name in Tyree Kill, you just think, you know, like there's just no excuses with the way that this team is constructed right now and the way that the Jets, especially a young roster. Um, and I've heard that there's some rifts between um, between the coaching staff, uh, LaFleur is, you know, uh, what's his name's older brother, I believe it is, and then Robert Sala, both of them came together from San Francisco, so um, it seems like then there's Joe Douglas, who came first off from Baltimore, and then Philadelphia nabbed him from the Ravens, and now he's the uh, general manager, and they came on different timelines, so it seems like those two are kind of rifting, and I'm not sure if it's that, I think it's that Joe Douglas drafted Zach Wilson, and I don't know if they think that they can win with Zach Wilson, and it's going to be really interesting because, like I said, there's really no excuses this offseason, and I mean, the biggest question for the New York Jets right now, beyond Zach Wilson, is their, not even their offensive line, just their tackles, and really not even just their tackles, Mekhi Becton. Um, when you look at George Fant, you say, especially at right tackle, he should he should be fine. You have Adoga as kind of a depth right tackle. They drafted Max Mitchell, who I think potentially you know is a fourth round pick, but may start because Makai Becton hasn't shown anything through two seasons. He's put on serious weight. Um, some of the weight issues have led to injury, and the team just doesn't think that he can stay in shape whatsoever. And if he can stay in shape, he can move. And he could be a star left tackle. They really have things because George Fan is going to be completely fine as that second tackle. They just need that, you know, that big body in Becton to really hold it down. And if they don't have a left tackle, then that's going to lead to what's it going to lead to? Wilson not playing in structure. And that's going to lead to him playing hero ball. It's going to lead to a disaster for everybody. But you look at um, Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be a star, you know, a right guard, um, really like a Zach Martin type player for, you know, the long haul. Connor McGovern is pretty good, especially in terms of the zone blocking scheme. And he was with Zach Wilson last season, so it's their second season together. And then they went out and got Lake and Tomlinson on the floor coming from San Francisco, brings Lake and Tomlinson from San Francisco. And you think, man, when they, they're going to be able to run the football because with Vera Tucker and Lake and Tomlinson, those two are going to be able to get out in space and pull and in ways that you know, like Kyle Shanahan wishes he had, wishes he had, you know, a guy like Vera Tucker to add to. You know, I mean, he's got Trent Williams; he's going to be completely fine. But when you had Lincoln Tomlinson, you know, if you could have two guards with that movability, um, really love that in an outside zone scheme. And that's where we're going to get into. I like Brees Hall. Um, I thought I thought a good comparison for him coming out of college was Joe Mixon, and then when he gets drafted to a team who's going to run this outside zone scheme, and you're going to see Michael Carter, in my opinion, basically be a G Giovanni Bernard-type player. I think you're going to see Brees Hall get rolled right into that Joe Mixon. And I think one of the issues with the Joe Mixon role is that um, everyone says, you know, this is the year Joe Mixon's going to really catch passes, really catch passes. You know, he's so efficient catching passes. He, you know, catches just enough passes, just enough to give you that taste, but he never goes all the way in. Um, I think you're going to see that very similarly with Michael Carter, who compares very similarly to Giovanni Bernard, just, you know, siphoning just enough. And, you know, sometimes Gio gets at that little bit of red zone work that annoys you. 
that um, really keeps Joe Mixon as you know a second-round pick in fantasy more than a first-round pick in fantasy. That's where I feel like Brees Hall is just going to live in that second round for the next four years in fantasy because uh, at least for the next three seasons, he's going to have Michael Carter with them. And I think it's going to be a dynamic one-two punch. And like the Bengals, they're going to have you know immense success with those two being their one-two punch. But it just it's going to hold Brees Hall back from being a consistent year-in and year-out first-round pick is a guy like Michael Carter. And then you, you never really want to draft Michael Carter because – you know, they when they drafted Brees Hall in the second round, they thought about him in the first round. Um, he was a player, you know, he, he was the best running back in this class, and he, you know, ability to bounce off tackles, and when he, you're going to put him in that outside zone scheme, it's going to be a really great fit for him. Um, similarly to when Zach Taylor kind of came in there, was able to put him in that outside zone scheme. So I do buy Brees Hall. I just think that there's just a, enough there that you don't go all the way in on Brees Hall. Um and then you look to their receivers, it's going to be another big question because on paper, you know, really like Garrett Wilson, really like Elijah Moore, really wish they were with a quarterback who was, you know, I think Garrett Wilson is probably a perfect fit for Zach Wilson because um, he has immense ball tracking ability and he goes up and gets the football. And when he gets the football, he's going to turn some of these bad Zach Wilson throws into 60 yards and a touchdown. I think there is a chance that he ends up hitting the ground running. I just wonder how much the offense is going to be because the Shanahan tree typically they will even, you know, if you saw like Brandon Ayuk and I know Shanahan is kind of different, but you see with Denzel Mims, although um, the coaching staff wasn't there for the Denzel Mims pick, um, they want their receivers to run precise routes to be precise timing. And sometimes Garrett Wilson freelances and sometimes he's not as, you know, you always kind of said it that, you know, Wilson was kind of the higher upside, whereas Olave was kind of the smoother, just on time, on point, everything like that. Um, you wonder if that's going to cost Garrett Wilson, although this is the coaching staff that drafted him 10th overall. But still, because of Corey Davis, when there's going to be two um, two receivers on the field, you think, is it going to be Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson, which it should be, or is it going to be Corey Davis and one of those two, which you fear it's going to probably be because Davis is one, the better blocker, two, you know, like I said right now, the better route runner than Garrett Wilson, and three, Elijah Moore is a slot player um, who, in my opinion, I think you put him in the Z role and you move him around, but I think right now what you look at is, I don't... I think because Garrett Wilson, it would be tough to put him immediately in the X role because you're going to need a lot of timing routes out of him and you're going to need Corey Davis is going to be that blocker to where he's going to be that basically that decoy X. You're going to put um, Garrett Wilson in the Z role so then you can he's able to be that freelancer off of the football and you start pushing him down the football field more often. But what it is is, you know, you basically have two Zs and more in Wilson. So then more moves into the slot where he's more of that jitterbug type of player, but he needs a timing route player if he's going to be in the slot, whereas if he's a Z player, he can cut off his routes, he can run back shoulder things to the sidelines, and you can see Zach Wilson hit him there. When he's in the slot, Zach Wilson's going to need to hit timing routes. That's going to kill Elijah Moore. So, And then the thing is, if Elijah Moore doesn't get on the field on two wide receiver sets, going to kill him because the reality is the um, Jets have three tight ends, uh, C.J. Uzoma, Tyler Conklin, Jeremy Ruckert, who they just drafted in the third round after they signed Uzoma from uh, Cincy, after they signed Conklin from Minnesota. Um, so you think that they're going to want to run multiple tight end sets, 
and they have Braxton Berrios, who's going to play in the slot. So basically, you need Corey Davis out of the picture, and you need Garrett Wilson to be the X, and you need Elijah Moore to be the Z, and you need Berrios to be the slot, and then you need Corey Davis to be the number four, basically the Kendrick Bourne, or basically the uh, Trent Sherfield type player that you know San Francisco has every year. Um, maybe you know Jawan Jennings is kind of higher up in the pedigree now, but you know that fourth receiver who can block, who can catch balls in the red zone, and things like that. If he's the if he's the X, then Elijah Moore is in big time trouble, and Braxton Berrios by design is going to be in trouble. So, and then Denzel Mims is trade fodder. You know they talked about him. You know, oh he's he's so great. We love Denzel Mims. We love him so much. We want to trade him to anybody who will offer anything for us. Uh, so like, but like I said, um. Uzoma, when they added Uzoma, they comped him to the, um, of the two, he would be the blocker, and then when they have Conklin, they said that he would be the big slot, and then Ruckert is kind of the move tight end, the hybrid, who, um, you know, I guess Uzoma would eventually be the hybrid, and Ruckert would be the blocker, but I think they expect that they can get a potentially... The whole thing out of record is just going to take them two years, so they're going to ease him in with this combination of Conklin and Ozoma. So Ruckert has no redraft value whatsoever. He's not going to get on the field. Conklin is better than Uzoma in terms of pass-catching ability. Uzoma will get on the field more than Conklin because he will help the left tackle block, and he will be put in motion and things like that more. But Zach Wilson doesn't run that offense. He needs somebody who he can throw to down the seams, which is going to be Conklin. So you have to put Conklin ahead of CJ Uzoma in any ranking. And either way, though, like I said, I like Brees Hall as that, like, you know, he goes in, like, the fourth or fifth round this season. I think by the by next season, he'll be a second round pick, so I like him at his draft cost. Um, Garrett Wilson is tough because um, I, I lean him over Elijah Moore. I just think it's going to take him a little bit of time, and I think Elijah Moore showed so much in his rookie season that if he's put in the right chance to thrive, if he's the Z, he's going to have more success than Garrett Wilson in the X role, whereas if Garrett Wilson's the Z, Corey Davis is the X, and Moore is the slot, then, you know, uh, Wilson's going to obviously have more success. So it's tough to really choose quite yet other than realizing that Wilson is probably more of a big play player, whereas Elijah Moore is more of a, you know, consistent timing routes, um, being able to catch with a wider catch rate, although they both have a pretty good catch radius, um, and Moore is a little bit smaller. So, and then, yeah, it just leaves Braxton Berrios in a tough spot because they're not going to go three wide receivers nearly as much because they have three tight ends and two running backs that it's never going to be valuable enough. And now you look here, and I think this is, like I said, a, a huge season for Robert Sala because I don't think he has as much GM support as he necessarily wants. I think he's way more of a rah-rah guy than he is an X's and O's guys. And listen, that can be fine whatsoever, but um, I think he thrived in San Francisco off of the season. And he had a good defense the, the next season, but when he had Buckner, Bosa, Armstead, um, you know, he had D Ford, he had uh, Solomon Thomas, you know, there was like five first round picks in that whole group, and they were all just getting after it. Um, I think it's easy to create to be as versatile as he was on the back end when you only have to rush four on the front end and you have four first-round picks coming at you. And it's true that when you look at it, you say Carl Lawson wasn't necessarily a first-round pick, but Jermaine Johnson literally was just a few months ago, and you think that if Lawson can get back to what he was 
and you have a guy like uh, Jermaine Johnson, you can potentially get enough of a pass rush between the two. You have some depth in terms of um, guys like Jacob Morton, who kind of has come on as a depth rusher. You have Bryce Huff, who's come on as a depth rusher. Vinny Curry, who's kind of been in the NFL for a while, and they drafted Michael Clemens in the fourth round. Uh, and Zaninga, who really hasn't been able to do anything, but they drafted him in the third round. Either way, um, Sala, you know, he, he just relies on these guys. And I think Jermaine Johnson, you know, there was talk that the Jets wanted to take him at 10, which would have been a huge reach. I can't complain about where he was taken, although I think he's still a little bit overhyped. And that's where I, it's tough for me to buy into the Jets, although the biggest thing with the Jets is their interior front four. With Quinnen Williams really entering his fourth season, I think he's a breakout candidate. John Franklin Myers has breakout, you know, um, he, he just signed an uh, extension. He's been really good as well. Uh, Sheldon Rankins kind of is in the slot where he can just play nose tackle, and now you have a really valuable nose tackle tackle and then they signed Solomon Thomas who was the number two overall pick in that regard you could say he's a bust but the fact that he's kept his career going um, he had a really good season in Las Vegas um, in 2021 he was really good as that rotational fifth rusher in San Fran in 2020 he's going to be in that fifth rotational rusher here in 2022 you think you know he's putting together three straight good seasons um, he's he's kind of you know if you if you drafted him in the second round you would have said you know hey Thomas is having a good a good career you know but you draft him second overall and you say you know well that was a bust but either way between Rankins Thomas Quinn and Williams and Franklin Myers and you can have Thomas being an inside outside guy um they like Jermaine Johnson because he can step in on day one and defend the run, and Robert Sala loves run defense. And if Carl Lawson can provide anything as a pass rusher, you think they have enough, especially in terms of rotational. They can you know, continue to rush enough guys that they don't have to blitz, which is what Sala lives on, is not wanting to blitz. Um, there's enough there. The questions come down to um, linebacker. Quincy Williams took a real step. Um, Quinnen Williams' his brother, with him playing behind Quinnen, all of a sudden he's really you know starting to you know become a pretty trusted player. And then C.J. Mosley, um, he's had some issues, but I think he's starting to get back to where he was, um, to where he's a pretty good leader in the middle of this defense now. He's he's starting to buy into. Um, what's his name, Robert Sala and all that. And then uh, Nazardine, um, you think between him, uh, Marcel Harris, Jamie and Sherwood, they basically have three will candidates, three safeties who are um – you know, would step into that uh, will will spot as a weak linebacker. You know, yeah, Quincy is your strong linebacker. C.J. Mosley is your Mike. You think, okay, you know, there are no excuses for Sala and the fact that he can rush four with that interior. He has Solomon Thomas as a fifth. He has Rankins as a as a nose. He has Martin as a as, as another edge rusher. And then he has that. You know, the linebacker core is you know, all his guys now, aside from Mosley, who, like I said, is starting to buy in. You're starting to you say, okay. You know how much how much wiggle room do you have to struggle here? And then you look at the secondary and you say, "Man, what did they invest in this secondary?" And Saul has been somebody who says, "I invest in my front end, and then we can figure it out in the back end." Well, what's his name? Uh, Joe Douglas is saying, "Well, here here's the talent in the back end to where you have no excuses whatsoever." Joe Douglas, um, Sauce Gardner, you know the fourth overall pick. Uh, you thought him and Stingley, you think he's better in this zone scheme, um, has a lot of that, you know, I don't want to say it, but some Richard Sherman tendencies to him. And, he th and that's where he made a lot of sense in this Sala scheme because lengthwise, speed-wise, skill set-wise, a lot of Richard Sherman in Sauce Gardner's game, you think you have that on one side and you have um, TJ Reed who comes from San Francisco on the other side. He's more of an undersized quarterback, but um, on one side you have the long, lanky cornerback in Sauce Gardner. You have the quick, shifty cornerback in Reed. On the other side, Michael Carter in the slot. 
you know, you could probably improve there. Um, guy like Brandon Eccles in the slot, you could probably improve, you know, between those two. But either way, you know, uh, really have you have to like what what they did on the outside. Um, and then Jordan Whitehead and LaMarcus Joyner, you know, two moves they made at safety, really went from the worst safety group in the NFL to, I wouldn't say the best, but I would say, you know, top 10-ish. You know, Ashton Davis was a player who started last season. Elijah Riley got way too much time on the field last season. These are depth guys who are not going to start this season, who are special teams players this season. And you have to look at him and say, like I said, no excuses. Reed, Sauce Gardner, Whitehead, you know, uh, LaMarcus Joyner, you can mix and match those two so much. You know, one can play back, one can play up. You can move them around. You can move Sauce Gardner from side to side based on the receivers. You can move DJ Reed based on the receivers. You have exactly the linebackers in terms of Quincy you brought in as that specific strong. Nazardine you brought in as that will. You have a bunch of will candidates. You know, and then you have you traded up for Jermaine Johnson because you needed him to complete the pass rush because you wanted him over Sauce Gardner. You know, and Joe Douglas said that's freaking insane. We're taking Sauce Gardner, so you know you went up and got your guy. There's no excuses for Robert Sala on the defensive side of the ball, just as much as there's no excuses for Zach Wilson. And this is a team that is a quarterback and a coach. That's all you need. You know, you have the the receivers. You know, even if you get rid of, even if you put Corey Davis as a four, you have the best fourth receiver in the NFL. You have Garrett Wilson as your X, Elijah Moore as your Z, and Barrios in the slot. It doesn't get better. Like I said, your guards between Tomlinson and uh, Vera Tucker, it doesn't get better at, in terms of youth. You have youth in your running back room. Um, you have no excuses whatsoever. It's it's on Sala. It's on Zach Wilson. I don't buy into either one of them, but I do think their schedule sets up enough for them to win seven or eight games. Their total's five and a half. I think if if I think there's a chance that they could do a little bit better than fans think and that the Miami Dolphins do a little bit worse because these guys have the young ascending talent and the Dolphins brought in names like Teron Armstead and Tyreek Hill and especially in the case of Armstead, I don't love um, his health really and I I think you know but then the Beckton question there as well. But and that's where I think the Patriots, like I said, I think these three teams are within seven or eight wins next season. So because the Jets have that five and a half win total, you go over. Because the Dolphins have nine, you go under. And because the Patriots are right in the middle, you kind of put off. And then you say the Bills are going to win 11 or 12 games. And that's how you see that. The AFC East entering training camp. 